I don't know about you, but even every time I watch that video, I'm like, oh man, have I ever done anything like that, right? We laugh because you've either sent a text message like that or you have received one like that. Anybody? Anybody can raise their hand? Yeah. And a, a friend of mine, even though sometimes I'm still guilty of not listening to it, a friend of mine said, listen, if you write anything down, you have to be willing for it to be put on a bulletin board. Isn't that a good rule in life? Right? If you are not okay with what you write down being put on a bulletin board for the world to see, then you better not write it down because nothing's private, even if it's a personal text message, right? And so sometimes we're guilty of it. And I think sometimes the problem's on the other side. Sometimes you are willing for it to be put on a bulletin board. That's another problem, right? You're like, sure, I don't care. Put this out there, right? Uh, but the truth is we all have bad blood. This is the final week in a series that we have called uh, Bad Blood. Why? Because we all have it doesn't matter. It, it's inevitable in relationships because relationships are not perfect. There will be bad blood. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard someone else tries, relationships are hard. Relationships are difficult, and they are, and they always will be far from imperfect. Can I get a uh-huh? Right? Because we all, we all know that. And sometimes, some of you could say today in front of everyone, you know what, my family's pretty solid. Like, I know there's crazy stories. Everyone has a crazy uncle. Raise your hand if you have a crazy uncle. If it's a crazy aunt, that still applies. But I think everyone has a crazy uncle. And hopefully, if my uncle's listening to this, he's, um, I, I love you, uncle, because um, I only have one on my side of the family. He's not that crazy. He's really an awesome guy. But everyone has crazy, crazy family, you know, family stories. Even some of you could say, I really have a good family. Like, my, my family's pretty solid. But life's crazy, isn't it? There's always bad blood, whether it's family, friendships, or the workplace. Relationships are hard. And we've been talking in the last several weeks, what do we do when there's bad blood? As Christians, we have a responsibility, right? And some of you today can say, you know what, I do not consider myself a Christ follower. This message will still apply to you. And in the event that one day you begin to explore and explore faith in Jesus, you will see that it will even mean that much more to you if you do take a faith step to have faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Bible, I love it, the Bible says a ton about life that a lot of people don't realize. And today is a powerful, powerful part of Scripture that we're going to open up and, and look into together. But to recap, in week one, when I shared, and our uh, pastor uh, Chris shared the last two weeks, but in, in week one, we started by saying this. The Bible says, live at peace with all men, doesn't it? The Bible says that, live at peace with all men. Sounds easy, right? Sounds good. Sounds easy. It sounds like something that, as I mentioned, that grandma would sort of put on a quilt or grandma would have in a picture frame, right? It sounds good, but it's just not realistic, is it? Live at peace with all men. No matter what you do, you'll never come to a place where you're at peace with everyone, and everyone is at peace with you. But the first part of the Bible verse says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Do everything you can in your own power to be at peace with all men. Whatever it takes, do it to live at peace with all men. But sometimes, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you can do everything in your own power. You'll never come to a place of having peace. And so the next few weeks after week one, we've been exploring what does it look like for us to practically take every step we can to live at peace with all men. And last week, I believe Chris shared these words. When you have been wronged, or when you have wronged, what, do you, what, what should we do? We should repent. 
right? When you have wronged, repent, which means to acknowledge it. I remember a mentor of mine said, Jason, the first three words of a healthy marriage, this is true of any relationship, but the first three words, he told me this when I was engaged to Rachel, and he said the first three words of a healthy relationship is, I was wrong. Those are the first three words that will make your marriage worth living for every single day. If you can find it inside of you to say, I was wrong. Now, words four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, isn't because, right? We don't, we don't live in a state of justification. Well, I did this, and here's why. I was wrong, but you, no, 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 no. The first three words, and then there's a period, I was wrong. And the Bible tells us that we should recognize our own faults period. So when we have wronged, we should say so. I was wrong. And the second part of that is when you have been wronged, you forgive. That's the other side of that. When you have been wronged, we have a responsibility to say, I forgive you. And in my home, you could imagine that in any home, we should be able to live out these words. We say these words often. If one son complains about the other you know, big brother or little brother doing something, and we acknowledge that someone was wrong, we say, I was wrong. And the other, and the other one says, I forgive you. And if it's done with like what I call in my son's haughty eyes, like those angry eyes, you know, I forgive you. <laughs> I'm like, Levi, that doesn't mean you forgive him. You really need to forgive him, okay? And, and Josiah is yelling, yeah, you should forgive me, right? <laughs> or trying to practice these things. Hey, listen, I was wrong and I forgive you. Those are powerful words, aren't they? But they're not so easy. That's something else that it sounds easy, it sounds good, but, and it sounds like in an idealistic, utopian type world. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. <laughs> but if we can get to a place in our journey, in our lives, when you can acknowledge, or I can acknowledge in any relationship when it's bad, I was wrong. No justification, no explaining it away. I was wrong. And if the other person on the other side can get to a place where they can say, I forgive you, which means I'm not going to bring it up tomorrow, which means I'm not going to bring it up next year on the one-year anniversary of when you did that to me, right? Even though we want to, we remember. It also sounds good, something that we say, forgive and forget. I, I don't know about you. Anyone ever said that? For, just forgive and forget about it. It's not true. You'll never forget, right? You can't forget. God didn't design our brains that way. We have these like long-term memory for a reason. It's good when you learn what it feels like to touch something hot. Your brain says, don't do that again. And so part of remembering the bad blood in relationships can be a good thing. It can be a healthy thing. So it's forgive and put behind you, which means you're not staring at it every single day. So there's always bad blood in relationships, but we're called as Christians to love. We're called in Christians to forgive, and we're called as Christians to actually repent and say, I am sorry. This last week, we're talking about something a little bit different. Have you ever felt like in a relationship that you were being walked over or abused or taken advantage of? What about boundaries? Have you ever been in a relationship where you realize that there aren't any good, healthy boundaries? And particularly this week, we're going to be talking about someone who's maybe always asking you help, or they're always leaning on you, and you always feel like, I have to help them. And what's even worse in that relationship is that you, you feel like there's a tension, and you feel like they don't even know that there's a tension. 
I remember in college, change his name, just in case he's listening to me from where he lives now, we'll say his name is Dan. I had a friend named Dan, and I say friend loosely because there was a lot of bad blood in this particular relationship, namely because I'm just being real with you. I just didn't like him. I mean, you're like, are you calling this guy your friend and you didn't like him? Yes, I'm sorry. I mean, he, he just always, the, the glass, to use the illustration, was always empty to him. You ever been around someone like that? It, it just, life was always bad. There was always a test in the next class, right? His mom was always doing something or saying something crazy to him. His dad, he's always saying something bad about him. He was always complaining about other people when he wasn't around them, right? No matter what meal he was eating, it wasn't good enough. No matter how much sleep he had the night before, he didn't get enough. And I don't know about you, but that just drains me. I, I, I like that even when life is bad and I'm being a, a, a realistic person and with realistic perspectives, I want to say that the glass is half full, not half empty. And I got to where I just didn't want to be a, around Dan, and I felt bad every time he would ask me for something or, hey, can I get a ride here? And I just wanted to say no. Or, hey, can we study for a test together? I wanted to say no because I just didn't like being around him. I always felt like it drained me. But the problem with this part of my journey is that I had just become a Christian. As an 18-year-old college freshman who really just began to take big steps in, in their faith journey, I, I just felt bad all the time around Dan because I didn't want to be around him. I felt like a bad Christian. Anyone ever been there before? You feel like, I don't want to be around this family member or this coworker because I just, I'm just being honest. I don't like them. They just drain the life out of me. And as a college freshman, I had decided, I went to the University of South Carolina where I studied in music education and performance, and he was a music major. We played the same instrument, so yes, he was always near me. And so I, I just got excited about the Lord. There were so many, as you can imagine, college students who God was not even a thought on their radar, and he was a thought on mine. And I wanted to tell them about God, that there's a God who loves them, and I wanted to be kind of an example and a witness to these friends. And I struggled. How do I become a good Christian witness around people I don't like? And how do I even say to myself, I don't like that person, right? When you're supposed to love everyone and like everyone, I don't know about you, but I kind of felt bad about that. And I always struggle with boundaries. And I've talked to some of you and some of your stories and your family and your friends and, and, and workplace environments. It's hard to draw boundaries in relationships and feel good about it, isn't it? Especially when you know, you know, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be a good example. I don't want to return their phone calls, so I don't. Right? I get invited to the meetings, but I find a way not to go. They ask for a favor, and I do it even though I don't want to. In some relationships, you feel like you're doing things, and you're just being taken advantage of. How do you create good boundaries in relationships? So some bad blood exists because there's no boundaries. Some bad blood exists because you say yes, and you feel like you can't say no. Some bad blood exists on the opposite side when you say yes, and you should say no. Do you know the Bible speaks to this? The Bible speaks to this as Christians. What do we have a responsibility to? And what do we have a responsibility for? Check out this sentence on the screen. You are responsible to other people, but not for other people. You are responsible to other people, but not for other people. What does it mean to be responsible to other people? In this series, what we talked about, we have a responsibility 
to love people, yes? We have a responsibility to admit our fault. We have a responsibility to forgive other people when they ask for forgiveness, right? And sometimes we have a responsibility to forgive even when they don't ask. We have a responsibility to take care of our own selves and watch our own hearts, but we are not responsible for, and you are not responsible for their actions. You're not responsible for them. But there's a tension in this statement, isn't there? You have a responsibility towards other people, and can it be the case, and I believe it is, that we will be held accountable for our actions... You can say this, I will be accountable for my actions towards other people, towards my decisions towards other people. Yes. But I can let you off the hook today, and you'll see in just a few moments, the Bible will let you off the hook. You are not responsible for them. When they fall flat on their face, it's not your fault. When you say no and you let them down, it's not your fault. When you draw those strict boundaries and they fail, it's not your fault. This is especially difficult if you have children, adult children, and you say, no, you can't move back in with me. Or you have an adult child, and, you, and this is just an easy example, because I've dealt with this in, in many conversations with people in ministry the last 15 years. This is a really easy, tangible one. If you have adult children, and you say you have to move out in three months, right? Or no, you can't borrow any more money to fix your tires. Get a job, right? This is especially difficult when you say, well, they're my, they're my son, they're my daughter. And the... the examples or illustrations with family go on and on and on. You're like, but it's the right thing to do to care for them. Like, what's this tension here? There will always be a tension. In marriage, there's a tension here. In children, there's a tension. In every relationship, there's a tension. That you have a responsibility to love, to serve, to meet needs. But no, you're not responsible for their actions. If you have your Bibles and want to open them, um, we're going to be reading from the book of Galatians. Or you can open up your app and follow along um, through the app. It will also be on the screen. Galatians chapter 2, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 2. We're going to read a few verses. I'm going to read all the verses, 2 through 5, and then we'll kind of jump back to verse 2. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 2, says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then let reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. I think you could read this 10, 15 times, slow down and read it each time and gain something new each time. This is a loaded, a loaded few verses in the Bible. And I want to take just kind of one verse at a time and think about it, hopefully let this sink in. And, and if you're Christ's follower today, I hope that this will encourage you in your journey as you think, what's my responsibility as a Christ follower? And I, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're searching and seeking and asking questions about faith, just last week I even had a few questions coming by email and someone that's come recently to encounter, they're just exploring. 
And, and I hope that today you'll realize that this, what I'm going to read about is what Jesus did for you. Jesus bared a load he did not have to bear because we could not bear it. He did this by dying on the cross. And I love the image of the cross. It's seen often, but not understood often. The cross is where Jesus bared the load. And the Bible says that he died on the cross for the sins of the world and offered forgiveness of sin to anyone who would, who would give, them, uh, give of themselves to the Lord and say, God, forgive me of my sins. This is what Jesus did for us. Galatians 6, 2 through 5. This is what he did by dying on the cross. He bared a load he did not have to bear because we could not bear it. And I hope that you'll see the reason we can read these verses and it can mean so much to all of us in this room is because we've seen an example and his name's Jesus. Verse 2 says this, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Now, in light of everything I've said so far, when you read, bear one another's burdens, you're like, so I do. If I see a burden, I have a responsibility to take care of that burden, right? What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? And you're thinking about going back to the example of, 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 a, of, a, of a child, or maybe an adult child, or a friend who needs help again, right? And I have to bear their burdens, because the end of this verse is powerful. If you do this, it is fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, that's kind of confusing. Now, why, why would it say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? The law of Christ, you could say, well, you know, the law of Christ is this. The laws of Christ are found in the Bible, but the New Testament also says that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. All of the Old Testament pointed to what Jesus did in the New Testament, which was dying the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And the point of the law was not to just give you all these rules and regulations, right? The point of a speed limit sign is not just to keep you going from 45 miles an hour, but it's to keep you from doing what? From hurting someone else. So the point of the law was not just safe driving, but to keep people alive. The point of the law was to point people to Jesus. And he says this, if you help one another... It is like fulfilling what Jesus fulfilled, which was what? What he did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross was what you could not do. Jesus forgave us when we did not deserve forgiveness. He offered forgiveness to you and he offered it to me. So what does it mean for us to obey this command. If we're sitting in a kind of a, a living room environment, what does it mean for us to bear one another's burdens? What would you say? It's important here. Sometimes you'll hear Bible teachers do this, especially when um, things have been translated from one language to another. Things get lost, right? Things get lost in translation. It's especially dangerous when you've communicated one thing. Have you ever been in a different context and you've communicated one thing and you think, oh, they understand me? And just in a few moments, you realize they didn't understand me. Those of you in this room, I see some that are bilingual, you understand this. You, especially when you learn to communicate something, you, you say something you're like, oh, they understood. And then they come back and you're like, no, man, I wanted a Coke, not coffee, right? I, I communicated to you, and some of you that are in any relationship, all of us, right? We can say, you don't have to be bilingual to get that. I communicate one thing, I think you understand, but you didn't understand it. 
In the Greek language, this is very important for you to understand. I want you to, to, to look at this. The Greek word for a burden is, uh, is uh, uh, baros, B-A-R-O-S. It literally means a hardship or an affliction that's too heavy to bear. A hardship or an affliction that's too heavy to bear. So you ask yourself this question, how do I know when to help someone? Well, the question is, is it really a burden? That's the first question. And I think you can ask yourself this, okay, so-and-so needs help, do I help them? Well, ask yourself this question, is it too heavy for one person to bear? If something is too heavy for one person to bear, guess what? They need, finish, finish the sentence, they need help. And it's hard when you look at the example of Jesus that this is what Jesus did for us by dying for, for, for our sins on the cross. He did for us what we could not do. He bore our hardship. He bore our burden. He bore our affliction. This is what Jesus did. And he says this, if you want to fulfill what Jesus fulfilled, then do the same thing for others. If someone is going through a hardship or an affliction and they cannot do it themselves, we have to step in. I also want to let you off the hook a little bit. If you're looking at someone's hardship or affliction and you know you can't help them, you're not in a situation to help them, and guess what? Find someone else that can. You can't meet every burden, and it's okay for you to say, I can't help you, but I can try to find someone that can. If someone is going through some type of crisis and you realize they need professional help, they need to talk to a pastor, they need to talk to a, a, a psychologist, they, they need someone that does this 40 hours a week to really help them because that's what they've been doing for the last 25 years, then just set up a date. Right? But the question is, is it a hardship? Sometimes we help people and it's not a hardship. It's not something, it's, it is something that they can bear. This is something that's often happened that's out of their own control. This isn't something that they did to themselves and they need to, to reap their own consequences, right? They made a bad choice and you're going to kind of swoop in and, and make the consequences a little bit less. No, no, no. This is a hardship or affliction that's out of their control and they can't bear it alone. The picture is a boulder. It's a kind of a, a boulder that's sort of on their back and they can't carry it. It's too heavy for them to pick it up themselves and so they need help. Look at the beginning part of verse three. The, the beginning part of verse three says, if for anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I wrestled with this, especially when I was 18. I started reading the Bible for myself. There were a lot of Bible verses like back to back that were just a disconnect for me. And still today, after a few degrees in it and um, several years later and reading the Bible a lot and teaching the Bible a lot, there are still passages that I'm like, whoa, 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 did you just change the topic? Like, what are you talking about now? How, how does verse three matter with verse two? Ask yourself that question. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Kind of, to me, it almost goes to like a different topic, right? You're talking about conceit or, or, or arrogance or something. And verse two just says, hey, if someone needs help, help them. The question is, why don't we do this? The reason Paul addresses the arrogance is because I, I believe he's teaching us, and the Bible teaches us, that the reason we often do not help others is because of our own arrogance. Confession 
that I would give to you is that I, I struggle with this sometimes, and, and sometimes I jump to conclusions, and when I see someone that's homeless, you know what I often think? Especially when I don't do this every day, but often if I ride into South Station, sometimes you'll see the same people asking for money every single day, and just confession from a pastor to, to you, I'm just, sometimes I look at homeless people, I'm like, if I were homeless, I wouldn't be asking for money. You know what I'd do? I would get myself a job. I'm oversimplifying this, all right? I'm telling you, some of this perspective is wrong in me. This is some of my conceit or my arrogance. I want to think to myself, like, I have enough grit that if something happened to me and I lost everything, I would, do, I would, go, to any, I would go to restaurant after restaurant after restaurant until someone said, you can wash my dishes. And I would save up enough money, put it in my pocket, give me a nice change of clothes. Like, find, ask a hundred people until I found someone that would let me borrow their computer, print out a resume, and work myself to a job. And this is what happens sometimes in my brain. This is bad. I'm confessing this to you. I see someone that's homeless, and I wouldn't be homeless. I'd only be homeless for a month. I'd, 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 I'd do whatever it took to get out of that situation. What do you think that causes me to do? Does that cause me to want to give money to a homeless or walk right by them? I walk right by them. Because I quickly jumped to a conclusion that I would do better than them, correct? So the Bible's warning us here, and this, is, this, is, this makes me very convicted in my heart, and I'm not saying there's some truth to some of that, right? Some people are homeless because why? Because they've accepted being homeless. And this is just an example, just an example. This is so, this is so true of people that are, that are living in million-dollar homes, and this is true of people that don't have homes, right? We can walk by a homeless person and, and, and be almost judgmental and frustrated in thinking that they deserve that. And that if I were them, I wouldn't be homeless. And this is what happens. I don't meet the needs of someone that's homeless because I think I'm better than them. And often seeing homeless people frustrates me. I'm like, man, you're asking for money? Go get a job. That, that's kind of what happens to me. And verse 3 really convicts me because verse 3 says this, if you think that you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. You're no better than them. This is, this is the Bible talking to me. I am no better than someone who lost their job or someone who, they have so many stories of they lost job, they've lost family. I took some time and talked to a homeless guy one time. After 30 minutes, I realized his story was burdensome. And he had no one to help him. And he's waiting for someone to help him. Now, his path may have been one way because of some decisions he made, but some of what he dealt with in his life was burdensome. It was a hardship or affliction. He didn't ask for it. But life happens. And life puts them in that situation. And they need help. People like me walk right by him because we think we're better than them. And the Bible says in verse 3, don't deceive yourself. <laughs> Don't deceive yourself in thinking that you're any better than anyone around you. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 keeps building on this. But let each one test his own work, and then reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. This can be a confusing verse too. So it tells, the Bible tells us to look at our own lives. Let each one test his own work. And so this is, if I could just translate this again to you, here's what I would say. You, if you look at your own life, your own actions, your own work long enough, you'll be humbled, not arrogant. If I think, if I'm walking by a homeless guy, instead of going, man, I've, every time I come to South Station, I, I see you. 
You're not looking for a job. You're not looking for money. You're not, you're not looking for help. You're just asking for someone to buy your next meal. Right? The Bible does have a principle. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's a pretty good Bible principle. That's another topic for another day. So I'm not saying there's some truth in this. But if you don't work, you don't eat. The Bible says a lazy, a lazy man, great proverb, a lazy man that doesn't work with his hands, he will be poor. A rich man brings about wealth and a lazy man brings about poverty. If you're lazy, you'll be poor. If you work hard, you'll gain wealth. That's a principle, not a promise. Some of you are like, I'm working hard, I'm poor. <laughs> That's a principle, not a promise. The Bible does not promise you wealth financially in your pocket just because you work hard. It's a principle, right? Not a promise. So you walk by that homeless guy and, and, and you just cast judgment and say, man, go get a job. I don't mind helping you, but I'm just going to help you today. And this, you'll be no better tomorrow. You're just going to be looking for more money. Instead of doing that, you reflect on your own heart and your own life and all the times you've needed help. Verse four, let each man look at his own work, his own life. How many times have you needed help and someone stepped up to help you? You know who I am today? It's because I had a mom and a dad who worked their tails off for me. Every time I had a need, they stepped up for it. I had a mom or dad. When I said, mom, dad, my tires are going bald, they would put $800 in my checking account when I was in college, and they said, go get new tires. They did that for me, right? And if I reflect back on that long enough, I'm not getting more arrogant. I'm being more humbled, there have been people that have worked hard for me. There have been people that have sacrificed for me. I remember the long hours that my parents would work. I remember they worked their tails off to make sure I didn't go in debt in college. They sacrificed and they humbled themselves. There have been people outside of my mom and dad that have sacrificed themselves for me. In middle school, I, we, we lived in a trailer. In middle school, um, I got a, a gift. I was in seventh grade. Okay, we were not wealthy. I wouldn't say we were on the poverty line, but we were surely close. I remember going from a single wide to a double wide. I was like, this is awesome. My house just doubled. And there's this line in between this. This is interesting, you know? Like, I thought we were wealthy going from a single wide to a double wide. But I remember my parents saved up enough money. It took them um, about 15 months to do this. They bought me a $4,000 Besson euphonium, which is a brass instrument. These are the same instruments that are being played in orchestras around the world. I had one of the best instruments because a private teacher told my parents, if you want Jason to succeed musically, you're gonna get him a nice instrument. Because if you play on something poor, he's, it's gonna sound poor. If you want him to succeed and to sound good, he's gotta learn what this instrument should sound like. And so he needs a, a $4,000 instrument. When their, you know, their payment on this double-wide trailer was probably 200 bucks a month, they saved up $4,000, which was a considerable amount of money to someone who's poor or wealthy, I believe. $4,000. That was a sacrifice, an investment. And I think about that. It did pave the way for me to go to college, right? If I reflect on that long enough, and all the people that have helped me along the way outside of my family, you'll, you'll begin to humble yourself. Why? Because you'll see that you don't deserve it. If you reflect on your own life, you'll see all of your own struggles. You'll see all of your own sins. You'll see all of your own faults. You'll see the amount of times that you have not met the needs that you've neglected the, the needs. You'll see all the times that there was like an expectation and you missed it. 
You'll see all the times that you wanted to be a good, a better husband, but you weren't. You wanted to be a better mother, but you, but, but you feel like you're not. If you look at your life long enough, it doesn't take too much time, but if you look at your own life and your own work, you'll begin to feel humbled about where you are. And the Bible says, instead of looking to others and judging, look at your own self and you'll see the burdens in your life and you'll see how they've been lifted. You'll see the needs and you'll see how they've been met. You will see your own faults and you've seen all the people along the way that have forgiven you. Verse four is powerful. Let each one test his own work. The end of verse four um, references his neighbor. I'm going to mention one quick thing on this. It references his neighbor. It says, and not his neighbor. It's meaning this. You'll, instead of comparing yourself to your neighbor and saying, well, I'm, I'm doing better than them, you'll be humbled by them. If you do that, you'll begin to see needs outside of your own life different. You'll begin to see the people that are on the outside and the people that need help and you'll begin to say, you know what? This was done for me. I want to do it for you. You know, I'm working hard to save money for my kids' education. I don't want them to, to go in debt. I don't want them to go in debt. I really, 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 really don't want them to go in debt. And so I'm saving up for their education. Why? Because it was done for me. And that's hard. If I do the math on what college education will take, there's no way I can afford to pay for public education. Some of you, I say some, most Americans are in that same boat, right? Like there's no way I can do that. But because I know what it felt like to graduate college with no debt, I'm working hard to do the same because someone else met my needs. Don't forget all that's been done for you and then you will see the burdens of others differently. Let's jump to this last verse, verse five. Each one will have to bear his own load. This is where it kind of transitions back. Do you remember verse two says, bear one another's burdens? If you see a burden in someone's life and you see a burden and you're like, well, should I meet that need? If this burden is too great for them to bear, then I need to help them. But there's got to be a boundary there. Verse 5 brings balance to what we've just read. Each one has to bear their own load. Now, the Greek, as I told you, things get lost in translation. What does it mean to bear your own load? The, the translated word from Greek is, is best understood by the English word portion. So literally, the Greek would read, each person is responsible for their own portion right? We don't use that word quite as much. We just say bear your own load, right? Your own responsibilities. Literally, what you are responsible for is your own portion. Like you have your own responsibilities, right? You have to pay your own bills, right? You have to make your own choices. And so it is okay for you to bear your own load before you ever bear someone else's. It's the picture of a backpack, Imagine everyone has their own backpack. Every day you have to pick up your own. That's what you're responsible for. Before you do anyone else's, before you meet anyone else's needs, you have your own backpack. You're not responsible for anyone else's backpack. But the problem in this relationship with bad blood and other relationships is that often we pick up other people's backpacks, don't we? Those of you that have said, you know, I've crossed, the, I've crossed this boundary one too many times and I've met needs I probably shouldn't have met. I'm doing too much for someone else. And uh, you have to kind of translate this in your own relationships, but we cannot, you cannot, I cannot pick up someone else's backpack. 
And going back to the homeless illustration, is it, is it true sometimes that maybe we are carrying, trying to carry their own backpack? Maybe. But I know, I know a guy who lives in Columbia, South Carolina, who has given his life to meet the needs of the homeless. And he works for a, an organization called the Oliver Gospel Mission. His name is John Crummer, has a heart of gold. He lives every single day to invest in the lives of homeless people, to teach them what it, what, what it means to build a resume, to teach them what it means to, to go out and look for jobs. He'll say, come, we don't have a car. You don't need a car, look for a job. Come walk with me. We'll go from door to door to door. He gives his life to advancing those. I'd say if someone has really good boundaries, I've talked to him about this before, if someone has good boundaries on what it means to draw the boundary, hey, I'm carrying my backpack, you carry your backpack. The moment they break the rules of the Oliver Gospel Mission, guess what? See ya. You gotta go back on the streets, right? There's boundaries. You have to, you have to design those own boundaries in your own life, but we are responsible to carry our own backpacks, to carry our own portions, we cannot forget what it means for us to carry someone else's burden. So how do you know? How do you know when to meet the need and when not to meet the need? If you see that someone else has a need that they cannot carry on their own, we have a responsibility to them. But don't feel bad. You have a responsibility to carry your own load. And if you realize, you know, I can't carry someone else's load at this time. I have my own responsibilities. You don't have to feel bad about saying no. You don't. You don't have to feel bad about saying no. Because verse 5 reminds us, you have to carry your own load. And as a Christian, when we don't carry our own load, I believe we lose influence. If you're not carrying your own load and you're asking someone else to carry your own load, we can often lose influence, right? On the other side of this, I'll end it by saying this. Some of you have been so discouraged in the journey where you are, be it because you're overwhelmed with work, overwhelmed with family, overwhelmed with raising kids. Some of you need to ask someone else's help in picking up the backpack. And let me give you permission. That's okay. If you're at a place right now where you're struggling so much and you, you, with fill in the blank, it's okay to say, I need help. I need help. In ra- I know these kids are mine, not yours, but I need help with them. That's okay to ask someone to help you pick up the backpack. But guess what you can't do? Give them the backpack, right? Ask for help. Is o- it's, it's okay. It's always okay to say, can you please help me today? Today I need help. I'm not giving you my kids. I'm not going to send them over and say, this is great, you know? Call me in a week. Let me know how it goes, you know? No, that, that, that's, that's, what's, that's a bad boundary, right? But it's okay. Some of you need to ask for help today. And that's okay for you to do. But in bad blood, to kind of wrap up this series, I, I, I want to pray in just a few moments and say, God, give us wisdom to fulfill what you've called us to fulfill, which is to meet one another's needs by helping them when they have burdens that they cannot carry themselves, but also give us wisdom to know what it means to carry our own load while also helping with other people's loads too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. It's challenging. It's hard. There's so many boundaries that we, well, we don't know um, where the boundaries are sometimes, but we need your help. And I pray, God, that as we discern what it means to meet one another's burdens, what it means to help, God, that you would give us wisdom. That we would realize that this is what you did for us on the cross. 
You carried our burden when we could not carry it ourselves. And so for those in, in this room, God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts, those that are searching, those that are seeking, and curious as to what it means to have a relationship with you. I pray that you encourage them to take that step of faith even today. And for those of us that are believers and we already have faith in you, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know the difference of what it means to carry our own backpacks while helping others, but also recognizing the burdens and meeting those needs whenever they exist. Thank you for setting the ultimate example for us, God. And we want to follow in that example. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.